Right, so my deadline for a feature is just a few days away and I'm really struggling to find case studies. I've been told about Cision's media request service, which helps journalists find interviews and quotes at short notice. So here goes. Cision.co.uk dash journalist hyphen services dash media hyphen requests dash. Great, this is just what I need. PR for companies, charities, leading lifestyle brands, it's all here. Ooh, it even says that if I don't have time to put the request out myself, we've all been there, right? Cision Media Requests team are on hand to help out. And hey, for a rainy day, they can even direct you to PRs in specific sectors, so no faffing around with hashtag journal requests. Content, samples, case studies, sources, I've got it all here on cision.co.uk dash journalist hyphen services dash media hyphen requests dash Consider this feature filed. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Lily Cantor. And I'm Emma Wilkinson. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode, with the help of two fabulous guests, we give practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself. Yes, and in Series 9, we're getting back to basics. We're going to cover all those topics that are essential for anyone working as a freelance journalist. The topic this week is how to generate ideas. Obviously, this is the bread and butter of freelancing, but where do you get inspiration from? Having that steady stream of solid ideas is the thing that will make us stand out from the crowd. But first, let's discuss our highlight of the week. Lily, what's yours? Mine is, I got a surprise email from an editor the other day. Um, Someone I haven't worked for for quite a long time. Um, She said it was about five months. I suspect it's been longer than that. Um, But basically, she was saying, please pitch me. I haven't heard from you for a while. Um, And let's have an online meetup because she's in a completely different country. Um, So that was quite nice to feel wanted. (laughs) Um, I haven't really pitched them to a while because I've been busy with other stuff. But um, it's nice to kind of have that option. And and, uh, I think I'm definitely going to meet up with her and, and start getting some more ideas together. And obviously today will be a great way to get the ball rolling with thinking up some of those pitches. How about you, Emma? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always nice, isn't it, when people reach out to you rather than you having to do that kind of pitching into the void the whole time. So to be celebrated, you have to launch on that when it happens. Um, Mine this week is, I'm going to be quite careful about what I say because this is something that's sort of in the early stages, but a really good story idea came my way because someone reached out after reading a previous article that I'd done uh, on the topic. Um, it's going to take some work to kind of verify and and check out and check that it's uh, legit, but I already have an editor interest in the story. Um, and this is someone who had reached out twice, actually, because the first time I'd just been really busy and hadn't really responded to the email, um, and then they'd emailed again, Uh, and I thought I'm going to see what this is about so it's always important to kind of take that call when someone says they have some information you might be interested in I genuinely had no clue what it was going to be about um, and it was really interesting so sometimes those ideas just come to you don't they yeah that's nice although you do have to be a bit careful I I've had a lot of people contact me that um, have sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole into 
craziness uh, shall we say but um it's really great when yeah when you get that like really good tip off off the back of a story that you've already done that sounds quite exciting we'll have to uh wait and see what comes of that yeah watch this space Okay, so it's time to introduce this week's guests. We have with us Amelia Tate, a freelance feature writer who's been recommended um, by our guests on other podcasts um, more than once um, because of the intriguing topics she writes about. These include why people develop the lost camera films of strangers and the increasing complexity of crisp flavours. Amelia's focus is on culture, trends and remarkable people and she has bylines in The Guardian, Wired, Vice, The New Statesman and The New York Times. And we also have with us Ellie Levinson, who freelanced for newspapers and magazines for many years and now teaches freelancers how to come up with ideas. Ellie is also a lecturer in journalism at Goldsmiths College. She's literally written the book on this in her guide on creativity and feature writing, how to get hundreds of new ideas every day. Yes, yeah, so two great guests. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming on. What we'd like to start with um, is to get you to talk through a piece that you're particularly proud of, perhaps um, a more unusual idea that you managed to get um, an editor to back you on. Um, Amelia, let's start with you first. Yeah, absolutely. I love the unusual ideas. Um, a piece that I'm particularly proud of doing this year um, was a piece about bubble bath bottles, which sounds uh, <laughs> like a piece that nobody would ever want to read or write. Uh, but basically it came about, I was writing a piece about um, the 50th anniversary of Mr. Men. Um, and for that piece, I went to the Museum of Brands in Notting Hill, which is a wonderful museum of um basically just chronicling through the decades how things have been advertised to us and products that we have uh, bought and sold. Um, and in there, in the sort of 90s, noughties area, there was an entire cabinet full of bubble bath bottles, which I'm sure most people remember, these sort of 3D shaped character bubble bath bottles. So you'd have Aladdin, you'd have Casper the Friendly Ghost, um, just anything and everything that you could think of that was, was released on TV or film at that time was was turned into bubble bath. Uh, and when I was looking at it, I thought, God, these used to be everywhere. Uh, and now they, they're gone. Um, so somebody out there um, got very rich off this and then presumably also lost a bit of money on this as well. Um, and I thought nobody's told this story before of, of how this kind of unique moment of pop culture came about. Uh, and so I set about to doing it and interviewed the sort of uh, billionaire founder um, of the company. And it came out in the Observer this summer and it was just such a fun piece to do um, and I really loved every second of it. Yeah I mean I think it just shows doesn't it that you always have to have your kind of sense new senses story senses turned on because like, it can just come from anywhere can't it? Absolutely fascinating. Yeah totally. Um, Ellie same question to you What what's a piece that stands out as sort of coming from a, a particularly unique idea? I think um, sometimes ideas can take years or decades to percolate. So I had 
I think I must have been the right age to start taking an interest in the news when the um, Pan Am flight exploded over Lockerbie um, some years ago. And that had always um, preyed on my mind. It was kind of something I'd always been aware of. And then I started teaching a course at the London campus of Syracuse University, an American university. And um, I saw a plaque on the wall in memory to students who had died in that disaster. And um, I found out that, um, I can't remember the exact figure, I think it might be 35, of the people on board the flight that that was blown up um, had been students travelling home from Syracuse University. And um, I became really interested in that. It kind of all my interests from the past um, came together at that point and I started to ask questions about how it was commemorated in Syracuse itself and then I wrote a feature on that um, for the FT um, magazine because um, they they did it in quite an American way and it, it was quite a, a strange thing for Brits to get their head around on, in how they commemorate things. Yeah that's that's really interesting both of you there have kind of it's almost been that visual stimulation hasn't it you've seen something and thought oh you know I wonder what the story is behind that or I wonder why that's not there anymore and I guess you you have to have that curiosity um in everything you do and kind of like Emma says always be switched on but I wonder Amelia do you have sort of other ways in which you generate ideas because you're not always going to be out and about seeing things so kind of how else do you kind of generate this steady stream of ideas? Yeah, definitely. I think you've really touched upon the key thing there, which is basically kind of retraining your brain, right? To be like, who, what, when, where, why? Where did this come from? Um, whenever you're looking at things, be that out and about or even in your own home. Um, you know, a lot of my ideas are sort of like, oh, this is a really common product now or a trend or a lifestyle um, element. So, you know, who's making money off it? Where's it come from? Um so yeah, that sort of retraining your brain with the who, what, when, where, why, I think is really important. Obviously, um, now you can access so much from your phone and um, just my own scrolling habits on Reddit and TikTok will often provoke a lot of ideas. So I just try to always remember to screenshot when I see something interesting. Um, but I also think just the most interesting ideas come from the most ordinary places sometimes. I mean, we mentioned that that crisps piece I wrote, which was about how basically 50 years ago, the only flavour on the shelves was ready salted. Um, and that piece came about because, you know, I was I was in the supermarket and I was looking at the shelf and I could see sausage roll flavoured crisps, sparkling wine flavoured crisps. And, I, and, you know, there was a discrepancy there between like, OK, you know, I know that 50 years ago, we only had one flavor. Now we have like 500 million. How did this happen? Nobody had told that story. And I wanted to tell that story. Um, similarly, I often find if I'm in the cinema and I'm watching trailers and, and seeing, because I write about kind of film and TV culture as well. Um, so one that came about from that was I was I was watching the trailers and there was a film for a, a bodybuilder who was babysitting a little girl, a precocious little girl. Um, and as I was watching this trailer, I thought I've seen this film a million times before <laughs> this film has been made numerous times in the 80s 90s and noughties and again I just thought okay well let's chronicle that let's see why the same film the same idea um, has so much of a hold on popular culture um, and then another example of kind of an ordinary place that has provoked an idea for me is just is just the local park um, I've always been interested in desire paths which is just 
the paths we make with our feet um, rather than the paths that the council make for us. So the shortcuts to the supermarket, um, the paths alongside the other paths. Um, and in lockdown, I noticed that, you know, there was a rise in more of these desire paths as people were trying to social distance from one another. Um, so that was just an, another way into this kind of, you know, it had been written before, but not um, with that pandemic angle. So, I mean, that idea came about by literally looking at the ground. <laughs> so as I said, the ideas are all around you. You just have to retrain your brain to actually think, oh, this is an idea. This is a piece um, by asking yourself those who, what, when, where, why questions. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that none of those ideas that you mentioned really came from kind of news stories that were around at the time necessarily. I know that one thing that freelancers ask us a lot about is you know that if the news agenda is moving so quickly and you have staff writers doing uh you know working in-house and having those editorial meetings about kind of what the topic of the day is how as a freelancer do you provide something different do you uh kind of provide something else on top of what that publication is already doing in-house um ellie i wonder if how much of generating ideas is about staying on top of the news and staying on top of what people are, are talking about uh, kind of that day? You know, how difficult is it as a freelancer, I suppose, to come up with those kind of topical but fresh ideas, the, the kind of angle that no one else has thought of? I think you need to stay on top of the news because that's the cultural references of your reader. Um, so you want to be able to pepper your writing with things that um, your reader is also reading about and knows about and you don't want to miss anything huge. But I don't think the majority of freelancers' ideas tend to come from the news because like you say there's a lot of people in house writing those so you have to take it a bit further and be a bit more in depth um, and have a little bit more time to research and write your pieces so you need to know what's going on because it will inform your future ideas but not necessarily to write about them right now yeah i think it's that fine balance isn't it because we find with freelancers they're always asking us like how do i find the hook for a story um, and sometimes it can be just sitting on it and waiting for the right timing. I think to um, take, take now with the World Cup going on for example, um, if I were um, trying to get some freelance work I wouldn't be pitching articles about the World Cup, it would be over before um, I'd written anything but I do want to keep a top of what's going on because I might for example write a piece in the future when there's another sporting event about teams that haven't sung their national anthem and made a protest and how that has worked and that would be informed by something that's happening now but I wouldn't be writing about it now. Yeah that's really interesting like you say keeping tabs on, on trends and then when they kind of repeat themselves and coming back with those ideas yeah I think I think that's that's a really clever way of, of approaching it. And Amelia, how do you kind of ensure when you're coming up with ideas that they are are fresh and that someone else hasn't covered it? For example, you said about the, the paths, the shortcuts, and that had been covered before. Um, so how do you kind of give it a fresh spin? 
Yeah, totally. I think that the sad thing about a lot of journalism is that there is a superficiality to the kind of, um, you know, the story is one and done. And actually, a lot of the times, the main voices that are affected by an issue, um, particularly with tech, which is what I started out writing about, you know, you'd speak to the founders, you'd speak to the people selling the tech, you'd speak to the people developing the tech, but you wouldn't speak to the users of the tech about how it's affecting their lives. Um, so a lot of times people think the story is done. But if, if you kind of look at it with that eye of like, who is being affected by this? Whose life is being changed by this? Uh, whose voice is missing from this piece? Um, so one example of kind of taking a story to the next level um, was a few years back, kind of in the midst of the pandemic, um, a subreddit called Am I the Asshole became really, really popular. Um, and it's kind of exactly what it sounds like if, if people aren't familiar, which was a place where people would kind of post these moral conundrums from their real lives and ask the internet to judge, am I the asshole in this scenario? Or is my wife, my friend, my brother, my child the asshole? You know, the internet was the arbiter. Um, and, you know, this was covered everywhere, New York Times, etc., because it's so fascinating. It says so much about what we want from the internet, that we want to read about these kind of juicy tales and, and judge one another. But what was completely missing from the story was the, the, um, the answer of who is doing the judging, who is actually sitting there on the forum and saying, you're the asshole, your wife's the asshole, your brother's the asshole. Who's making those judgments? Because traditionally in society, the people that we would allow to make those judgments um, and be the moral arbiters are kind of older people, priests and marriage counsellors, etc., and people with life experience, um, whereas the users of Reddit uh, are not necessarily um, <laughs> people with the most life experience. So by reaching out to the moderators of the forum and asking them, can I do a survey of your users, um, I was actually able to find out, collect some original data and find out that essentially uh, it's a lot of teenage teenage boys, unmarried kind of young people who are using this forum. So when they tell you to leave your wife, um, you probably shouldn't trust their advice. And I also added an extra element to the survey where there was like, I worked with a psychologist and a, a data analyst. Um, there's a morality test that psychologists use to kind of put morality on a spectrum. So looked at the actual kind of um, moral beliefs of this group of people. So again, it's that data collection element, it's that whose voice is missing question that allowed me to take a story that had literally been done everywhere um, and add that second layer to it. Yeah, I think sometimes, um, it's hard to know, I think, as a freelancer sometimes, um, at what point the story is ready to pitch, like how much work you need to do in advance. And that's quite a good example where you had to kind of go a bit of an extra mile to kind of collect that data and to find out rather than kind of pitching a, a story on I wonder who these people are like actually finding out and that's kind of mm. you kind of put that bit extra into that into that story idea yeah but I do think if you have that data it sells itself a lot of times obviously you don't want to do too much work before you pitch and maybe you want to ask your editor um would you be interested in this but um you know believe in yourself when it comes to that kind of stuff because the more information you have the better story you have yeah, and actually that brings me nicely onto my next question um, for you, Ellie, about um, to what extent is social media the place to find story ideas? Um, I think everywhere is a place for story ideas. There's some days when I look at Twitter and I think, oh, that's really interesting, I'll follow that, that and that and get go down a kind of rabbit hole. 
that way and there's other times when I barely look at my phone I go for a walk and I'm interested because I've seen a bit of graffiti or somebody's put a sticker somewhere so I, I think every experience has potential to be helpful um, I wouldn't ever say that social media kind of doesn't play an important role but it's not the only way at all because stories are about people and there's plenty of people who aren't on social media every day yeah and I think that that's a really key point isn't it it's about those conversations you're having with people you know what are people are talking about what's what's concerning people um and that's a good way of kind of gauging um what what the kind of public um is talking about not just kind of going on twitter which is a you know a select group of people i know uh, particularly when i started freelancing i was writing a lot about um, parenting issues because I had a young child at the moment and I was tapped into what mums were talking about and what what their sort of concerns were um, so I think yeah like you say it's not always about social media I mean I, I'm a really terrible news writer but when I learned to be a journalist and um, I, I was kind of learning how to write news I was told that, that I was told that people are interested in treading on the kind of dog poo outside the front gate or in world peace and not in the stuff in between and I think social media is all the stuff in between and and I do think people are interested in that but actually they're interested in the really small stuff and the really big stuff and you don't get that from Twitter or Instagram or whatever your preferred platform is. Yeah that's that's so true I remember um, I got a story from my hairdresser once which seems like such a kind of cliche in a way but I was literally um, at a house where she's got a salon and I noticed there was a lot of swimming gear hanging up and I started chatting to her about her daughter's swimming and I started asking her how much time that took and that must cost a lot to kind of travel around the country to all these galas and I pitched a story to Guardian Money about kind of who was paying the price of kind of raising these Olympic or potential Olympic um, stars um, because it's basically middle-class parents. They're the only ones that can afford to do it. So, um, yeah, it's just like you say, it's absolutely everywhere. And I love as well, Amelia, you talking about kind of being proactive as well. Because, again, that's something I do. I'll go into Facebook communities and I'll just ask, like, has anyone got any stories to share on on these kinds of topics? Um because I write a lot about running so I go into sort of running groups and uh, I ask you know is anyone doing any challenges or got an unusual group that they're part of and I get flooded with loads of um, really great stuff um, so I think being proactive um, is a really good tip as well. Yeah I think one of the things that's always surprised me about being a journalist is how willing people are to talk about their lives. Um, and I say this all the time, that if somebody approached me and was like, tell me about X, Y, Z, I'd be like, no, go away. Um, but a lot of people just are happy and they're organically having these conversations on social media, in these Facebook groups, in these Twitter threads, in these subreddits for really specific things. Um, so, you know, all you have to do is kind of go and join those conversations, as you say, and, and see what people are talking about. Yeah, so there's a story yeah. There. The other thing I wanted to ask, though, um, Ellie, maybe come to you, is, you know, if you do see something and, you, and you're really curious about it and you think that's like a good sort of nugget of an idea, how do you then turn that into, I suppose, from an idea into a story and make it specific enough? Are there any sort of tips you can give around that? 
I think that's a really good question, actually, because um, having a subject or having an angle is only half the battle. It's nothing without an audience. And so if you don't know who you're pitching to or who the readers of the publication you're pitching to are, then how can you write for them? You know, you might be writing about heart surgery, but if you're writing for a surgeon or if you're writing for a patient, it would be two completely different um ideas or angles so you really need to think about who are you writing for what do they know what do they need to know what are their lives like and why is this relevant to them just just seeing something or thinking about something and going oh that's a good subject that that's half the battle but it's by no means a whole story and and what about you Amelia what would be your advice on kind of making something really stand out in a pitch yeah, it's it is tough, especially because um as you've probably gathered, I have a lot of kind of evergreen ideas that not it's not necessarily like you need to get the the report on the man who made his millions in bubble bath in, in next week's issue. Um so I think that, you know, a lot of the times I do have these ideas where I'm like, okay, but but why is it interesting now? Um and what more am I gonna say? And I think um, you know, even however tenuous the hook is, you do have to find that hook and search for that hook, be it an anniversary or um, Google Trends is a really great tool to be where you can literally say like, you know, 50% more people are Googling this than they than this time last year. So clearly people are interested in it. So you can do that work of proving to the editor that people are interested in it um, rather than just kind of assuming that it's interesting and therefore it's worth writing a piece about. Um, so you could even say like the hashtag has been used X million times, which proves that people are talking about it. Um, but yeah, I think it is also just putting that legwork in, right? You've got that idea. Is it an article? Well, you just have to find out. You have to do a little bit of legwork and find out just how many people this issue affects, um, just who the most important voice on that topic is. And sometimes it might be the case that, yeah, um, there isn't enough there. So you might have to sit on it and, and wait and see if it pops back up. I want to ask this because we always get asked this, but Lily and I haven't. This has never happened to us. But do you ever worry about people stealing your ideas? Ellie, do you get asked that by students? Yeah, all the time. And I think it's because um, people have a sense that they are unique. Um, but if they've had the idea, other people are going to have similar ideas as well, because we've all got the same cultural uh, influences um, coming in. So it, I, I think part of, part of it is just, you know, you take it on the chin and you move on and you accept somebody else had the same idea. Part of it is try harder, get a better idea. Part of it, you chalk up to experience. Um, it, it, it's not worth kind of getting in a stew over and, you know, holding a grudge for the next 30 years of your career. Of course, if somebody persistently has the same ideas as you, you might want to look at not sharing them with that person in, in future. But um, there's, there's, there's plenty to go around. If, if you get into the mindset of everything is an idea and everything you do, everything you see, everyone you speak to might lead to a new idea. So what if one gets copied? You've got 100 more coming that day. Yeah, and I think this is something that was echoed on um, another episode that we've recorded with um, some commissioning editors who've said, you know, it, it isn't that we steal ideas, it's just that some other people will have had the same idea because they're following the same trends. So I think it's something that people can get kind of really bogged down with and it's it's not it's not really an issue. And like you say, it's just kind of move on to the next the next idea. And in terms of kind of the practicalities, then, if if you're out and about and you have a great idea, I mean, how do you actually log that? Um, Ellie, do you have kind of a system or do you advise your students on how to kind of get that idea down? Yeah, so I, I, I'm um, 
I'm a terrible example of this. No, no listeners should do what I do. Um, my phone is a mass of screenshots and notes and I've got scribbled bits of paper all over the place. It's completely disorganised. But then I think the kind of person who is good at freelancing or good at being a features writer is that kind of person who is interested in everything and maybe their brain is a little bit more scrappy than other people's. So um, don't, don't do what I do. Be more organised. But, um, but the way I do it is, you know, a note here, a screen grab there and it's all over the place yeah and Amelia how about you how do you keep track of your ideas I love a screenshot and I love to take a screenshot in the moment so you can look back and remember um those things when you were scrolling uh, unfortunately you have to carve out that time to look through um, and actually um translate them into ideas and not just screenshots uh, and the other thing I would do is kind of email myself if I was out and about I would just send myself a two or three word email and be like oh that's interesting you know when I was in the cinema watching those trailers um, I would just send myself an email so that it would be right there in my inbox um, ready for me to tackle. Yeah, I do that all the time. I email myself tweets instead of kind of bookmarking them because then it's kind of on my to-do list when I, like, if I'm just scrolling through on an evening, I just find it's the easiest way to remember uh, to do it. And do you, Amelia, your, your ideas all seem so different. Do you ever find that one idea leads to another idea? Do you have that kind of you learn about something and then it kind of sends you off on a tangent and then you've potentially got another idea from that? Yeah, I mean, I should. And there are definitely those opportunities that come up and, um, you know, there are always more things to learn. But I think I do have a slight problem with just being so eclectic and wanting to write about so many different topics that I maybe don't follow up on on that as much as I should. Um, but I definitely do think that that's a great way um, to think about things. And, and you know, you should approach those avenues when they come to you. I'm just not as good at <laughs> doing that as I should be. And Ellie, something that we kind of sometimes tell people when they're, they're, when they're learning journalism is obviously to keep an eye on the news, but to think about those follow-up ideas. So it might not be a follow-up to a story you've done, but it could be a follow-up to a story that's already out there. Is, is that another way of generating ideas? Yeah, because um, I teach my students a, a bit of a formula, really. It's, a, it's um, the way to a feature idea is you need three things. You need a subject, an angle and an audience. And if you change any one of those, it's a new idea. So you can take anyone's article on anything and think, right, well, um, I'm going to change the audience for that. And then it's a new idea. Or I'm going to keep the subject, keep the audience, but slightly change the angle and you're moving it on a bit. So it's a bit like a kind of, um, you know, like a slot machine where, where you want to get three fruits the same in a row to win a prize. If you change one of them, it's a new combination and a new idea. So that's how I, I tell students to think about it in terms of taking either their own or somebody else's idea and moving it on. So um, if you um, take Amelia's bubble bath packaging idea which I absolutely love I think is brilliant um you might you might think about well what other um kind of novelties have been on the market that came and disappeared and if you change that and get a new novelty it's a new a new idea yeah absolutely and I think working in health I find this happens all the time in that I kind of write a story and it might be for a pharmacy magazine but then I'm thinking well GPs are having the same issue but they're coming at it from a different perspective um you know or and thinking what you know what does the general public need to know not know about this so you it's the kind of same topic but you're coming at it with kind of different different lenses on almost yeah and I think again this overlaps with an episode we've got later in the series where we talk about um having one 
um, one idea but multiple stories that come out of it so you can you know maybe do a news piece and a feature and a backgrounder maybe an opinion piece or you do a big feature but you draw out one thing that you could then um, pitch elsewhere um, because you didn't go into it in enough detail in that original story so there's kind of lots of different directions you can you can take your ideas in well, I think we've had loads of really practical advice there. Um, I think we're going to round up. But first of all, um, we just want to get from each of you your kind of one top tip, your one piece of takeaway advice from our chat today. So, Amelia, we'll come to you first. Well, I mean, what Ellie's just said about changing one uh, one aspect is not something that I've actually ever thought about before um, and not a way that I've worked. So I think I will definitely take that forward because... Um, that's a really interesting way to to kind of, as she said, move a story on and actually think about it in a different way. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be using that. Oh, fantastic. I like it when we're all learning from each other. I always learn so much from these episodes. Um, um, Ellie, same question to you. What would be the one top tip you take away from today's episode? I think you've got to be interesting and interested so in everything that you do so again to take the bubble bath one again um and you said you got the idea when you went to the museum of brands just being out there and doing things and um, you don't know where your ideas will come from and it doesn't have to be expensive i mean if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh i live somewhere where there's not much to do or i haven't got any money but you know cooking your dinner in a different way or watching something new on telly or experimenting with i don't know having your shower an hour later or something it can all lead to a new idea so just do new things and be interesting yeah and I really also love that idea of like taking something that somebody's done and applying it to something else so like the trend with the the bubble bath um and that's something I've certainly done when I I remember the first piece I pitched actually as a freelancer was about where do my nursery fees go so it was like a breakdown of all the costs that nurseries have and kind of know how much are they getting in profit and how much is going on cleaning or food or whatever it might be staffing um and that can be applied to so many different things and I've done my first pitch to runners world was where do my race fees go like what are they paying for um so again having that kind of one idea that you can apply in lots of different ways and then that's a way of showing an editor that you can cover a story in this way and you've done it for other publications that that can be really useful as well well fantastic that's been so helpful um just kind of to finish off as a way of sharing the freelance love um, we are going to ask you for your freelance recommendation. So, Amelia, who is someone who's caught your eye recently? Yeah, um, I mean, I just always deeply admire Joe Zaday and his work. Um, he wrote a piece last year, I think it was, on the tyranny of time, which was quite a conceptual piece about what time is and how it uh, measures and how we measure it and how it rules our life and very philosophical, but also grounded in that kind of everyday reality of obviously time is something that we all deal with. And he just has such a fantastic perspective. He's always doing these really fascinating, meaty, um, but meaty pieces, that, but like not scared to, to stray into those kind of bigger questions, those more con- conceptual ideas. So yeah, um, Joe's a day I just think is fantastic. 
Fantastic. And we'll put that in our show notes. I'm going to go and read that. I was having that conversation with my seven-year-old the other day, actually. I was like, time's just a concept, really. We, You know, it's just man-made. It doesn't actually mean anything. And You can't think about it yeah. too much, especially <laughs> if you're seven. <laughs> and Ellie, how about you? Who would your freelance recommendation be? You see, it's really embarrassing because if she wasn't on the show, I'd have said Amelia. And a couple of weeks ago, I posted one of her pieces on LinkedIn as an example of like the most perfect feature I'd read, which was all about um, where the souvenirs you buy in souvenir shops come from and who who collects them. And I loved that. But um, that feels a little bit kind of suck up. So I had a look at the WhatsApp group I've got with some of my Goldsmiths colleagues where we um, if we read something good, we just send a link to it to our to each other so we can use it for teaching. And I don't think it's freelance but if I'm allowed to say someone who's not freelance the name that came up time and again on the articles that I'd sent round was a BBC music writer called Mark Savage and he wrote a piece I really enjoyed recently um, on Coolio and Gangster's Paradise and kind of how that changed the music landscape and then there was one a few years ago where he kind of took one of his bugbears from years ago um, when a boy appeared on Going Live which was a Saturday morning TV show um, and swore live on air at Five Star the pop group and he did a piece Exactly. He he did a yeah. piece that um looked at um who was the boy who swore at five star. <laughs> and I love that because this has had clearly been niggling him for thirty-five years. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's just it's tapping into the right audience, isn't it? There will be a whole generation that will remember that. Um so it doesn't matter that it was thirty-five years ago and that, you know, some people won't know what you're talking about, that there will be, you know, a, a demographic that I did really make tune into that. I did make my students read it and they were like, what's going live? What's live TV? Who's five star? (laughs) But I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll try and dig that out and put that in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you both so much. It's been really great. And hopefully um, our listeners now um, will have loads of great advice to go away and start generating those ideas. Um, just to kind of wrap up now unfortunately Emma keeps getting booted out of the podcast I don't know what's going on at her end so I'm gonna uh, wrap up for both of us Um, just to let you know if you're enjoying the podcast and want to hear some bonus episodes then you can subscribe to the premium version of our newsletter um, where we put out additional podcast episodes as well as sharing some of our pitches um, and we have some monthly resource lists as well Um, and all of that for just £3.33 a month. Head over to Substack and search Freelancing for Journalists uh, to find out more, or we'll also put a link in our show notes. Um, Also, just to mention, um, you can come and join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community. We've got over 5,000 members in there now. And we're on Twitter at Freelancing4. I'm also there as at Lily Cantor, and Emma is there as at Emma Journo. And finally, just want to say thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and producer, Maddie Drury. And we're actually going to be recording a bonus episode with both of them that will be on at the end of the series. But for now, I'm going to say goodbye from me and goodbye from Emma. And thank you very much to Amelia and Ellie. Bye.